This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. Every summer, I have the distinct pleasure of spending an entire month with people from all over the world here in Dallas teaching the Arabic language, Quranic Arabic, the language of the Quran, and discussing and exploring the timeless lessons and wisdoms of the Book of Allah. We call this experience Quran Intensive. Please check out BayinaSummer.com That's B-A-Y-Y-I-N-A-H Summer.com to get more information and sign up. I look forward to seeing you here Insha'Allah at the Quran Intensive. A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitanir Rajeem وَأَنزَلْنَا مِنَ السَّمَاءِ مَاءً بِقَدَرٍ فَأَسْكَنَّاهُ فِي الْأَرْضِ وَإِنَّا عَلَى ذَهَابٍ بِهِ لَقَادِلُونَ فَأَنشَأْنَا لَكُمْ بِهِ جَنَّاتٍ مِّن نَّخِيلٍ وَأَعْنَابٍ لَّكُمْ فِيهَا فَوَاكِهُ كَثِيرَةٌ وَمِنْهَا تَأْكُلُونَ وَالشَّجَرَةَ تَخْرُجُ مِنْ طُورِ سَيْنَاءَ تَنْبُتُ بِالدُّهْنِ تَنْبُتُ بِالدُّهْنِ وَصِبْغٍ لِلْآكِلِينَ وَإِنَّ لَكُمْ فِي الْأَنْعَامِ لَعِبْرَةً نُسْقِيكُمْ مِمَّا فِي بُطُونِهَا وَلَكُمْ فِيهَا مَنَافِعُ كَثِيرَةٌ وَمِنْهَا تَأْكُلُونَ وَعَلَيْهَا وَعَلَى الْفُلْكِ تُحْمَلُونَ الحمد لله رب العالمين والعاقبة للمتقين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه ومن تبعهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين So in the previous session we talked about how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala after talking about the stages and the the remarkable creation of the human being Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then talks about some of the other uh, observations of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's greatness, His power and His majesty um, all around the human being as well. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala started that off by talking about the sky above the human being. Now from here in ayah number 18, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala continues now to from the sky now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is talking about how this human being benefits from the blessings of Allah. So in ayah number 18, Allah says, وَأَنزَلْنَا مِنَ السَّمَاءِ مَاءً بِقَدَرٍ فَأَسْكَنَّاهُ فِي الْأَرْضِ وَإِنَّا عَلَىٰ ذَهَابٍ بِهِ لَقَادِلُونَ A very brief translation. Um, and we send down from the sky water in due measure and placed it within the earth and we have the complete power to take it away. And we have the complete power to take it away. So let's talk about a few of the interesting words here that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses. Uh, first and foremost is the word qadr. The word qadr in the Arabic language um, is a very versatile word, has many different usages. But the word qadr in the Arabic language basically means like a fixture or a measure of something. A fixture or a measure of something. Um, the next word is fa'askannahu. This comes from the root word sakana, which basically means to rest somewhere. And askanahu is from iskan. It is the um, uh, the transitive version of the word. So sakana means that he resided somewhere. Askana means he was placed somewhere. So that's what that particular word means. Zahab, zahab in the Arabic language means to leave or to go away. And we'll talk more about that in Qadirun. Again, it's coming from the word Qadr. So you kind of see again here, beautiful connection that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is borrowing from the same root of the word. Qadirun basically refers to somebody having the capability to do something. So Qadr is the measurement uh, of something or the limits of something, the size of something. Um, and Qadirun refers to somebody having the capability of doing something. Now to exactly talk about what this ayah is saying, so of course the obvious mention of the sky is here, وَأَنزَلْنَا مِنَ السَّمَاءِ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and then we sent down from the sky. So after reflecting on the sky, now Allah is calling our attention to now what comes down from the sky. So Allah says that we sent down from the sky water. This of course, obviously making mention of the rain. 
So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, we send down rain from the sky, بِقَدَرٍ With a fixed measure. Now, this is uh, very important to kind of note why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions qadr here. Um, and this will be something that I'll uh, reiterate towards the end of the session, inshallah. But I shared with you one particular aspect of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talking about all of, uh, the observing of the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala all around us and looking at all the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because this is an evidence of the fact that if you see, you look at yourself and look at all the miraculous stages that you pass through in your creation to make you who you are right now. And then you look up at the sky and you look at the rain falling and the, you know, the, you look at the earth and the ground and the vegetation growing from there and the animals roaming the earth. That if you look at all of this and you are able to clearly, obviously observe Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's power and magnificence, then how, why is it that you doubt Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's ability to bring you back to life? That after you have died, that He can't resurrect you? Why do you have any doubt in regards to that? You are clearly interacting and observing the greatness of, with the greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that's one. The second thing that one of the Mufassirun points out here, I was just going through this today, and it was really a remarkable thought, that he says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is also pointing out the sky above us, and how it shields us, and everything that it provides to us. Then Allah talks about the rain coming down, and how that nourishes us, and everything that again provides for us. And Allah will go on to talk about the earth and the vegetation and the fruits and the vegetables and everything we eat and then the animals that are also there for our benefit and transportation and all these different things that we'll talk about today. And one of the real central ideas and thoughts that are being communicated here is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not just create you and then leave you. He is an extremely merciful, compassionate, and this is an interesting word, attentive creator. And master. He is very, very attentive to your needs. He has made all arrangements for you from beforehand. For everything that you would need or require. So be very cognizant of that. And take that into consideration when you process how you perceive Allah. How do you perceive Allah? If you have this very um, skeptical, and you have this very negligent attitude towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Think about what that says about you and your quality as a person. Right? Somebody comes and hands you a glass of water and you take it and you throw it in their face. What does that say about you as a person? Right? Or you just even take it and just walk off in the other direction silently. Still, what does that say about you as a person and your, the, your quality as a human being? And we all know we would all be offended by such conduct and behavior. And what we would obviously demand and necessitate is somebody take the glass, look us in the face, say thank you very much, Jazakallahu khairan, I appreciate it, and just show a little gratitude. Right? So we demand so much, and that's something that we consider a necessary part of being a decent, functional human being. Right? This is even before the scope of Iman. Remember that when we talked about Amana, the beautiful hadith of the Prophet ﷺ from Sahih Muslim where the Prophet ﷺ says that Amana, trustworthiness, was first put in the hearts of people. And then the Qur'an came and they learned from it. And then the Sunnah came and they learned from it. But that Amana and decency is just innate. It's like, it's a part of being a human being. It's part of our fitrah. And so similarly, a basic level of gratitude and appreciation is a part of that fitrah. It's a part of being a decent human being. So the creator, the master, the sustainer, the nourisher, the provider, who's made all these arrangements for you, and taken, is taking care of you so well, then to turn around and have this type of a very negative and almost angry attitude towards him, what does that say about me as a person and a human being? And then secondly, even if we are at the level where, okay, we've embraced iman and we recognize and accept Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as our master, as a creator, but then also it begs the question, and this is how it even complements, because a lot of mufassirun have positioned these two passages as if the first passage is talking to believers and now this passage that we're in, from Ayah 12 to 22 or 23, um, is now speaking to the disbelievers. While that is completely possible, and it is maybe doing that, but at the same time, we understand from the nuance and the layers of the Qur'an and the coherence of the Qur'an, that it can't exclusively just be that. 
Like a chapter just completely changed and now Allah is talking about something completely different. Even though Allah could if He wanted to, but we just know that's not the Qur'an. From having studied the Qur'an, the little that we have. So, this is how it also complements the previous passage. I find Allah told us, success is for the believers. And these are the attributes and the qualities of the believers, and this is your reward. But now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is also addressing something a lot more fundamental, and a lot more basic, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, and you know what? Complying with these characteristics, basically which necessitates being obedient to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, your humanity demands that of you. The fact that you breathe, and you eat, and you drink, and you walk, and you talk, and you sleep, that in and of itself is enough to demand compliance with these attributes and these characteristics from you. That that's enough to necessitate and demand that. Right? So it's very, very powerful. So let's, when we read these ayats, we're reading them, I want you to read them with that, with those two layers, obviously. At the very least, those two layers in mind. One, obviously, that it's istidlal. It is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala establishing proof that He not only can, but will resurrect people after they have died. And number two, also reading it with the lens of that these are all reasons, just really simple, basic, obvious reasons for us to be extremely grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. To be very, very grateful and attentive to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, وَأَنزَلَ مِنَ السَّمَاءِ مَاءً Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that we send down the water from the sky, rain, بِقَدَرٍ with a fixed measure. And now this fixed measure is very relevant. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about, um, or, or rather I'll talk about that in just a minute, but this fixed measure is very, very important because we know in the Qur'an there are both observations. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about rain coming down from the sky and nourishing people and nourishing the animals and nourishing the earth and providing all of these blessings. And we know what ends up happening when that rain does not come down from the sky, then what ends up happening? Then famine and drought and suffering. Tragedy. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala provides enough for us to be able to survive. But at the same time, the Qur'an also has told us about that what if the rain came down in excess? The rain came down too hard, too fast, too quick, and for too long. That that's a flood. And the tufan of Nuh, and this is very interesting because the next passage we'll talk about Nuh alayhi salam. That the tufan of Nuh, how it obliterated and destroyed everything. Everyone and everything. Except for the people Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saved. So this is a very uh, powerful uh, idea that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is sharing with us here. And it's something that we should definitely make note of. Now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala goes on to say, فَأَسْكَنَّهُ فِي الْأَرْضِ فَأَسْكَنَّهُ فِي الْأَرْضِ And then we placed it within the earth. Like we allowed it to remain within the earth. And again the Mufassirun explain, like Ibn Kathir and others, they talk about this. Ibn Ashur talks about this as well. That if the rain would just come down for a limited amount of time, and Allah had not made these natural arrangements to be able to preserve the water in lakes and rivers and streams and so on and so forth, then what would happen, wells and other things, so what would happen to our supply of water? Right, We would be obligated, we would have to in that situation try to save and store as much water as we could. But again, whether that would go bad or that would get, um, that, that would just spoil after some time, develop a stench after some time. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made these very natural arrangements to be able to preserve that water so that we have a continued uh, means of sustenance. Right? So again, فَأَسْكَنَّهُ فِي الْأَرْضِ And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about this uh, other places in the Qur'an as well, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَأَنزَلْنَا مِنَ السَّمَاءِ مَاءً Yes, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, أَلَمْ تَرَ أَنَّ اللَّهَ This is in surah number 39, ayah number 21. أَلَمْ تَرَ أَنَّ اللَّهَ أَنزَلَ مِنَ السَّمَاءِ مَاءً فَسَلَكَهُ يَنَابِيعَ فِي الْأَرْضِ وَالْيُنْبُوعُ الْمَاءُ الْكَثِيرِ That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that, have you not reflected on the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends down this water, this rain from the sky, and then He allows it to run in abundant quantity within the earth. Yumbu' al-ma'ul kathir. And Allah doesn't say the singular yumbu', He says the plural, yanabi'ah. 
abundant quality, uh, abundant quantity within the earth. In abundance, it's flowing throughout the earth. In another place in the Quran, in Surah number fifteen, ayah number twenty-two, Allah subhanahu wa taala says, "فَأَنزَلْنَا مِنَ السَّمَاءِ مَاءً فَأَسْقَيْنَا كُمُوهُ فَأَسْقَيْنَا كُمُوهُ." That we send down rain, water from the sky, and then we provided it for you. So it's more than just the fact that we sent the water down and then again, just kind of left you on your own. Alright, here you go. Right? How do we interact with people that we are even responsible for? Right? That, you know, as a parent, I put the food out, it's your problem now. Eat it or don't eat it, I don't care. Deal with it. Right? Versus think about now the parent that makes sure that the child eats. And sits down and watches and even feeds the child themselves if they have to because of that compassion that, that forces them to do so. Right? Think about how benevolent and compassionate Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. That He sent down the rain from the sky, water from the sky, the nourishment. Now it's our deal, it's our problem. We gotta figure it out for ourselves. No, 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 Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then فَأَسْقَيْنَاكُمُ Then we provided means of delivering it to you on a regular basis. And one of the Mufassirun, he points out the fact that سَقَاءَ Sakia, it the basic verb, it, ba- it means to give somebody, provide water to someone. And that's that example that I just put out this cup of water here on this desk. I just leave it there. If you're, thir- if you're thirsty, you'll just come get it yourself. It's your deal, it's your problem. And asqa, yusqi, because the basic verb, saqa, is already transitive in nature. It's providing water to someone. So then bringing it, bringing it into what is supposed to be the transitive form, Asqa yusqi, isqa'an. How does that increase or change the meaning? It means to not only provide water, but it means to deliver the water to the person when they need it, how they need it, and how much they need it. How much they need. So to be very sensitive to the quantity, the quality, the time of when they need the water, and how they need the water. And that's the verb that Allah uses when He talks about delivering water to us. فَأَسْقَيْنَاكُمُوهُ We deliver it to you exactly when, where, and how you need it. Right? So that's the attention that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala again gives us. وَمَا أَنْتُمْ لَهُ بِخَازِنِينَ Otherwise, we, didn't, we, didn't, we don't own the supply of water. We couldn't have provided for ourselves. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and we talked about Allah providing the water. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes even descriptions of this. وَإِمِّنْ شَيْءٍ لِلَّهِ عِنْدَنَا خَزَائِنُ وَمَا نُنَزِلُهُ إِلَّا بِقَدْرٍ مَعْلُومٍ Allah says that Allah has a limitless supply of everything, treasures of everything. But Allah says that we sent it down, we provided in fixed measure. In fixed measure. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes even the water that He provides for us. عَذْبٌ فُرَاتٌ سَائِغٌ شَرَابُهُ عَذْبٌ فُرَاتٌ سَائِغٌ شَرَابُهُ That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes it sweet and nourishing and fulfilling. And it quenches the thirst of the person who drinks it. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala lets us know other places in the Qur'an. وَلَوْ نَشَاءُ لَجَعَلْنَاهُ أُجَاجًا فَلَوْ لَا تَشْكُرُونَ That if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted, He would have made it so either difficult, either bitter, He would have made the water so bitter that we wouldn't have been able to benefit from it. It would have been actually tortured to drink it. And we would have felt compelled to, but we still would, and it would make us sick or ill, or it would be very, very difficult. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made it so pleasant and nourishing for us. And this is from the blessing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that after you grasp this fact, what does He say? وَإِنَّا عَلَىٰ ذَهَابٍ بِهِ لَقَادِرُونَ And this is a very, very powerful statement in the Qur'an. وَإِنَّا And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying, and we, عَلَىٰ ذَهَابٍ بِهِ the habin bihi means to take something away, to take it away, to take the water away. The hab means to leave, but when you add the preposition ba, it changes the meaning again to the transitive where it means not to leave, but to take something away. The habin bihi. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, an ala shows qudra, shows capability and power. And on top of that, look at the nuance of the Quranic language, the word the habin, is that common or proper? The habin. Common. It's common. So the common is used a lot of times, the common form is used to talk about um, absolutely and completely being able to do something. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, وَإِنَّا عَلَىٰ ذَهَابٍ بِهِ 
And that most definitely we are, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is completely and fully capable of taking it away, absolutely taking it away, completely removing it, literally sucking, removing and uh, drying up every single drop of water on the face of this earth. And even if the water is mixed up into something, then completely just like separating even the particles and absolutely removing water from everything. وَجَعَلْنَا مِنَ الْمَاءِ كُلَّ شَيْءٍ And water is at the, at, the, at the essence of life. And that's actually testament of this within the Qur'an that is really mind-blowing. And again, what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says and whether we pay attention to what Allah says or not. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about making a way for قوم Musa, Banu Israel, through the sea, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about making a way, He says, يَا يَبْسًا لَا تَخَافُوا دَرَكًا وَلَا تَخْشَى he says, uses the word yabs, that when they stepped foot into where the sea was, they actually found the dirt to be completely dry. That when Allah moved the water out of the way, it wasn't even muddy. Allah literally separated the water from the dirt. To the point when they placed their foot there, like dry dust was just kind of like flying up. That's the qudra and the power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So laqadirun means fully capable. And again, you see that lam here for emphasis. So Allah is saying, without a doubt, most definitely, we are fully capable of completely and absolutely taking all of the water away. But Allah doesn't do that. Even though we probably don't deserve much better. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't do that to us. And He does not do that to us. And again, this is to remind us of how benevolent and merciful and compassionate Allah is. How forgiving He is. How the doors of His repentance are always open to us. And there's another ayah that talks about something similar to this in Surah Al-Mulk. In Surah Al-Mulk, in Surah number 67, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, at the end of the surah, He says, قُلْ أَرَأَيْتُمْ He tells the Prophet ﷺ to say, tell them, أَرَأَيْتُمْ have you looked, have you thought about the fact that in asbaha ma'ukum ghawran? That if all of a sudden you woke up in the morning and the water was sucked down into the earth, ghawran refers to something kind of sinking. That if the water sunk down into the earth, then who could bring you good, clean, fresh water again? That's a very stern warning. But the Mufassirun, Ibn Ashur rahimullahu ta'ala gives like 20 reasons why the warning here in Surah Al-Mu'minun, in Surah number 23, and we talked about this, what surah was revealed after Surah Al-Mu'minun? Surah Al-Mulk. Surah Al-Mulk was revealed after it. So it's very fascinating. But this warning is so much more severe. Because over there Allah says that if Allah made the water sink down into the earth, but it's still there. And then Allah is saying, who could then bring you water again that would be fresh and clean? But that's not to say that maybe you wouldn't get some dirty or a little bit filthy or muddy water. You'd get, still get something, just not a, an abundance of good clean water. But here Allah is saying, habib bihi. Like Allah would just remove it from existence. Very serious and stern warning. And another one, the Mufassirun, and this white tafsir al-Qur'an bil-Qur'an is so important. He also says, because even in sequence, Surah Al-Mulk came after Surah Al-Mu'minun, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said it with the lighter tone there, for a couple of reasons, in Surah Al-Mulk. Because there he's telling the Prophet ﷺ to say this. And he's not putting the messenger in a position to say something so severe and stern. So he lightens the tone of it, because it will come from the tongue of the beloved messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa and number two, because of this ayah already being there, this is already in the back of the mind of the listener, that this severe of a warning has already been given. So it's almost as if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is kind of lightening His tone to give us a second chance. Now, going forward, ayah number 19 Excuse me, before we actually go forward from Surah Al-Furqan, 
I also wanted to mention an ayah that is very interesting, an ayah and a hadith that's very interesting. Um, from Surah Al-Furqan, ayahs 48 through 50, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also talks about this subject. He says, وَأَنزَلْنَا مِنَ السَّمَاءِ مَا أَنْتَهُورًا That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, we send down pure water from the sky. Then he says, لِنُحْيَ بِهِ بَلْدَةً مَيْتًا So that we may revive the earth after it has died. وَنُسْقِيَهُ مِمَّا خَلَقْنَا أَنْعَامًا وَأَنَاسِيَ كَثِيرًا And then we would provide water according to their need to what we have created, whether they be animals or even many, many, an abundance of human beings. وَلَقَدْ صَرَّفْنَاهُ بَيْنَهُمْ لِيَذَّكَّرُوا And all of this is being laid out and clearly explained and elaborated. Why? لِيَذَّكَّرُوا So that we reflect on it. But then what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَأَبَا أَكْثَرُ النَّاسِ إِلَّا كُفُورًا but unfortunately, very unfortunately, many people, they still refuse to take a look at this and reflect on this. And then they end up disbelieving and becoming ungrateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And in a hadith of Sahih Muslim, the Prophet ﷺ talks about this. Zayd ibn Khalid al-Juhani radiallahu ta'ala anhu says, The Messenger of Allah ﷺ prayed with us the morning of the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. So they were traveling and he prayed Salat al-Fajr with us on the day of Hudaybiyah. وَفِي أَثَرِ السَّمَاءِ كَانَتْ مِنَ اللَّيْلِ And from the night, a lot of clouds had started to gather. So it seemed like rain was imminent. فَلَمَّا انصرف أَقْبَلَ عَلَى النَّاسِ So after the prayer was done, the Prophet ﷺ turned around and faced the congregation. And this was the habit of the Messenger ﷺ, that after Salat al-Fajr, he would kind of just very casually, like kind of have like an open session an open forum with the Sahaba. They could talk about something, they could share something, they could ask questions, he would sometimes share something. So it was a very casual open forum after Salat al-Fajr. So he said, هَلْ تَدْرُونَ مَاذَا قَالَ رَبُّكُمْ Have you given thought to what your Master, what your Lord Allah has said? قَالُوا اللَّهُ وَرَسُولُهُ أَعْلَمُ They of course said, Allah and His Messenger know best. قَالَ And then he said that, قَالَ أَصْبَحَ مِنْ عِبَادِي مُؤْمِنٌ بِي وَكَافِرٌ بِي that every morning there are some from my slaves who wake up in the morning believing in me, Allah says, and some of them wake up in the morning disbelieving in me. And he gave an example that was relevant to what they were kind of experiencing because of the weather. He said, فَأَمَّا مَنْ قَالَ مُطِدْنَا بِفَضْلِ اللَّهِ وَرَحْمَتِهِ فَذَلِكَ مُؤْمِنٌ بِي كَافِرٌ That whoever says that we were provided with rain and sustenance, by the blessing of Allah, the benevolence of Allah, and the mercy of Allah, then that is somebody who believes in me and disbelieves in the superstition of people. And whoever wakes up in the morning and sees the clouds and says that we are receiving rain because of such and such sign and superstition, فَذَلِكَ كَافِرٌ بِي مُؤْمِنٌ بِالْكَوْكَبِ then that is somebody who disbelieves in me and is ungrateful, the word kafir, is ungrateful to me. Is ungrateful to me, to Allah. And would rather place his or her faith and trust in superstition. And so it's very important that when we look at these signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that we are able to observe the qudra and the greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala behind all of these great signs that we are surrounded by. Ayah number 19, فَأَنشَأْنَا لَكُمْ بِهِ جَنَّاتٌ مِّنْ نَخِيلٍ وَأَعْنَابٍ لَكُمْ فِيهَا فَوَاكِهُ كَثِيرَةٌ وَمِنْهَا تَأْكُلُونَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, brief translation, He says, and with it we produced for you gardens of date palms and vines, grapevines, with many fruits there, with many fruits in therein, for, uh, with an abundance of fruits for you therein, and from them you eat, you consume. So, a few new words here. The first word is insha. We kind of talked about it. It means to kind of like bring forth, to raise up, to produce. Alright? More than create, like produce. Um, the word nakhil is used here, which refers to date palms. A'nab refers to grapevines. And then the word fawakih is the plural of the word fakihatun. Fakihatun, which means fruit. So fruits. Um, and وَمِنْهَا تَأْكُلُونَ And from there you eat, you consume. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now is obviously, it's very, um, it's very um, coherent 
Right? It's obvious to understand how it's connecting. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, now after you observe the, the beauty of the sky and the remarkable nature of the sky, and then you witness and you see the rain falling from the sky, now what happens? It falls on God's earth, on the ground that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created beneath your feet. And now what happens? That rain goes down into the ground and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brings forth for you from there different types of sustenance. And this in Surah Yasin, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also explains this as well. Subhanallah khalaqal azwajakum ardul mayta. That a sign for them is the dead earth. Ahinaha wa minha habban yakulun. That Allah says we revived it. We brought it back to life. And we extracted from there grain so that they are able to eat and consume from it. Wa minha habban yakulun. وَجَعَلْنَا فِيهَا جَنَّاتٍ مِّن نَخِيلٍ وَأَعْنَابٍ And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and we made an abundance, gardens, plural, an abundance of uh, date palms and grapevines. And so here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala similarly says, not only again does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala provide limited amounts of food, but Allah provides gardens and gardens and abundance of food. An abundance of food. And He mentions two types of food here specifically. He mentions date palms and grapevines. So dates and grapes. So now the question can be asked, why mention these two? What's the significance of mentioning these two? Amongst everything else Allah has created. So a couple of things that's, ta- that's mentioned here, some of Fasirun obviously points out because that was something very relevant to the Arabs, right? Dates were like a form of daily sustenance for them and grapes were kind of a delicacy for them. So whether it be just casual, you know, uh, everyday sustenance that Allah has provided and also delicacy Allah has also provided. And there's no doubting that. But also because these are two very different types of things and they grow in very different circumstances. And that's why grapes were such a delicacy to the Arab because where dates grew abundantly was not, they were not ideal uh, circumstances for the growing of grapes. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is mentioning these two specifically because of again their nourishment and how fulfilling they are and how good they are for people. And, but also because of their different natures. Allah is also mentioning these two. But again, it's not restricted simply to these two. Why? Because Allah clearly says, لَكُمْ fiha, And in those same gardens, فَوَاكِهُ كَثِيرَةٌ There is an abundance of different fruits. There is an abundance of different fruits. وَمِنْهَا تَأْكُلُونَ And from there you eat. Now, some of Fasirun have asked a very, very good question. And they've asked the question that why does Allah say, وَمِنْهَا تَأْكُلُونَ And from it you eat. What else do you do with this type of fruit? Right? It's, it's almost, if you literally translate it, it translates as, and we have produced for you gardens of date palms and grapevines, and for you, provided for you in those gardens, there are an abundance of different types of fruits. And from them, that min it can be لِلتَّبْعِيذ that a, you end up eating some of it. You end up eating some of it. That's kind of peculiar. It's food. What do you mean you end up eating some of it? What else do you do with it? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is alluding to the fact here that it's not only just directly a form of sustenance, but it is also a means of acquiring other types of sustenance. That not only do you of course consume it and you eat it, but what else? You're able to then also buy it and sell it. An entire industry. Like Allah has provided such a system and such abundance that it is an entire industry. You can sell it, you can, you know, you can stockpile it, you can provide it for people. So there's many, many different types of benefit and from amongst those benefit is of course the fact that you can consume from it as well. And of course, this is something that um, is talked about time and time again, different places within the Quran. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, يُنْبِتُ لَكُمْ بِهِ الزَّرْعَ وَزَيْتُونَ وَالنَّخِيلَ وَالْأَعْنَابَ وَمِنْ كُلِّ الثَّمَرَاتِ In Surah Al-Nahl, in Surah number 16, ayah number 11, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that He provides for you through, by means of this water that Allah sends down upon the earth, الزَّرْعَ, vegetation, agriculture, وزيتون, and olives, nakhil, date palms, a'nab, grapevines, ومن كل الثمرات, and different different types of fruits as well. 
So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made all this different arrangement for the human being. And of course, we talked about how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions the diversity. Because even what was really fascinating with the Arabs was even with grapes and dates. Even grapes and dates weren't one singular item. But they had so much, they had so much diversity in the different types of dates and grapes that there would be as well. And these were types of fruits that they wouldn't just eat fresh, but they would also dry them and they became a form of sustenance as well. Dried dates and raisins and whatnot. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is mentioning an abundance of blessings here. Now, moving on, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in ayah number 20 continues this. He says, وَشَجَرَةً And a tree. Alright? Again, شَجَرَةً Is that common or proper? Alright? شَجَرَةً Is that common or proper? Okay, it's common. Right? So شَجَرَةً And a tree. Whenever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses this style, this is لِلتَّفْخِيمِ it's almost to kind of, uh, imp- it's to impress upon you kind of the grandness of what's being mentioned. It's something really remarkable that Allah is mentioning here. وَشَجَرَةً And the tree. تَخْرُجُ That comes out from. مِن تُورِ سَيْنَا So brief translation, and a tree growing out of Mount Sinai that produces oil and seasoning for your food. So now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and a tree that comes out from تُورِ سَيْنَا now a little bit about these words specifically. Tur in the Arabic language is any type, it, it refers to a mountain. But not just any type of a mountain, because the most common word for mountain in the Arabic language is Jabal. Very good, Jabal. وَإِلَى الْجِبَالِ كَيْفَ نُصِبَتْ Right, that how Allah has erected the mountains. وَالْجِبَالَ أَوْتَادَ Pegs within the earth. Alright, so Tur specifically refers to a type of mountain that actually has a lot of trees and a lot of greenery growing on it. So the mountains like you see when you go for Hajj or Umrah, there around Mecca, those are more jibal. Alright, but mountains like you see out in the Smokies or something like that, that is described as tur. That has vegetation growing on it. Mountains, huge mountains, but they have vegetation growing on them. Alright, Sayna. What is Sayna referring to? So of course this is referring to a specific place. And this is referring to the place where Musa alayhi salam spoke to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and received divine revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it's referring to that specific place. There is some commentary, there is some discussion amongst the classical mufassirun, like Ibn Kathir, Qurtubi and others, who say that the word Sayna in some of the other languages like the Habashi language or the certain African languages um, refers to, basically it's a word that means beautiful. So it means beautiful mountain. Turi Sayna means beautiful mountain. However, Ibn Ashur, Ibn Ashur, a later Mufassid and a researcher and a great scholar, he actually refutes the idea and he says this is an error. This is an error. They mix it up. Sayna, they mix it up with another word which is Sana. Sana in that language means something beautiful, but this is Sayna. This is a completely different word. So this is of course referring to Mount Sinai, which is, again, there's a lot of different opinions of the uh, historians and the Mufassirun and the scholars exactly where that is located. Um, and there's an abundance of different opinions. The general consensus does seem to be whether they say that it's in a certain part of modern day what we would call Iraq or in Palestine or in some other Jordan or Syria or some other region. It's basically in classically in the region in the area that was known as the Levant. That it's in that region somewhere. Wallahu ta'ala alam bisawab and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. But minturi sayna, that sprouted out from turi sayna. Now, of course, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from the description of the tree, as Allah mentions here, let me go ahead and go through it. Tambutu bidduhn, that it comes out, not only itself, obviously providing food, in, in and of itself it has vegetation, but it comes out also providing oil. It also comes out providing oil. And that oil also is a means of seasoning food. Now based off of this description, it is obviously talking about the zaytun, the olive, and the olive tree. And this is talked about other places in the Qur'an. Most notably, of course, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala swears by it. Alright, وَتِينِ وَالزَّيْتُونَ وَطُورِ سِينِ uh, and in another place in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about it and uses it in 
maybe the most remarkable parable in the Quran, and that is Allahu Nuru Samawati Wal Ard, Mathalu Nurihi Kamishkatin Fiya Misbah, Al Misbahu Fi Zujaja, Al Zujaja Tuka Annaha Koka Munduri, Yukadu Min Shajaratim Mubarakatin, Zaytuna. Yukadu Min Shajaratim Mubarakatin, Zaytunatin. La Sharqiya Wala Gharbiya. Yakadu Zaytuha Yudi'u, Walau Lam Tamsasunar. Nurun ala nur. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about Zaytun, referring to it as a tree that is very blessed. And he compliments even the oil that is extracted from that tree. Olive oil. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala pays it a compliment. Because if it's involved in the parable, referring to the glory of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in any way, shape or form, that is a compliment to whatever the example is. Right? In the Arabic language, this is called a tashbih. Right? A tashbih. A simile is being provided. A parable. And so in the Arabic language, when you engage in tashbih, you have the mushabbah and the mushabbah bihi. You have the, 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 the entity that you are talking about, and then you have the entity that you are likening it to. وَأَحْيَانًا الْمُشَبَّهِ بِهِ وَعَادَةً الْمُشَبَّهِ بِهِ أَقْوَى فِي صِفَةِ التَّشْبِيهِ فِي وَجْهِ التَّشْبِيهِ مِنَ الْمُشَبَّهِ Most of the time, the norm in this uh, expression is that the, the entity that you are likening it to, the example that you're giving, is usually stronger in possessing that quality than the one you are describing. And the obvious example given in all Arabic textbooks, alright, is of course Zaydun Kal Asad. Zaydun Kal Asad or Zaydun Asadun. That Zayd is like a lion. And it's talking about his ferociousness and his bravery and his fierceness, right? So of course, who's more ferocious? The lion or Zayd? Hopefully the lion, right? So that's usually the case, right? When somebody's described as being generous, like, like a rain cloud. So of course a rain cloud is a lot more generous, right? So the mushababi, the thing that you are liking it, likening it to, is usually stronger in that attribute. That's the norm. However, it doesn't have to be that way. Sometimes you do flip the script. You do it the other way around. Alright, so, and whenever any example is given in regards to anything pertaining to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is of course greater in that attribute, in that quality. And this is another example. But still think about the fact, think about the fact, like we often talk about, the, what's the example the Prophet ﷺ gave in the hadith of Sahih Muslim when he wanted to describe to us what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's love for his slaves, for his creation, what it is like. What example did he give? The mother for the newborn child. But of course Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's love is much, much greater. But automatically as a side note, what does that end up telling you? That is a compliment being paid to? To the mother. And to the love that a mother has. That's automatically a compliment being paid to? The mother. So similarly here, right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's glory is beyond anything we could imagine or comprehend. But just the fact that this Zaytuna was mentioned in that example is an enormous, huge compliment to the Zaytun. Alright? So this is talking about that particular tree. That's what it's making reference to. Now, now that we kind of understand what it's talking about, and I'll comment on the duhun and the sibr in just a minute. But first, let's tackle the idea of turi sayna. Now again, olives, they grow everywhere, right? So why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala specifically mention turi sayna? Why did He mention it there? So this is a question that's asked. And so, again, some of the mufassirun mentioned that min, min is really the key to understanding that. Min lilibtida. It talks about the origin of something. So the Qur'an itself, you don't really need a lot of explanation. The Qur'an is saying that the very first zaytun, zaytuna, the very first olive tree that ever grew on this, on the earth, was at the place of Turi Sayna. Was the place where Musa alayhi spoke to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And now you see the connection here as well, because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Qur'an refers to the zaytuna, the olive tree as what? Mubarakah, blessed. And what place on the earth could be more blessed than a place where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent down His revelation and spoke. And that place of the ground, that place of the earth heard 
the voice of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What place could be more blessed than that? So that connection is very, very obvious. On top of that, there are some weaker narrations and many of them are borrowed from the Isra'iliyat. Wallahu ta'ala a'lamu bisihatiha. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best how authentic these narrations are. The Prophet ﷺ taught us, la nusaddiqu wa la nukadhib. We don't necessarily affirm them, nor do we completely deny them. Allah knows best. But nevertheless, there are some Isra'iliyat, there are some narrations which talk about the fact that after the Tufan, after the flood of Nuh alayhi salam, and some of us mentioned this is also kind of like a very um, beautiful and nuanced connection to the next passage, which starts off by talking about Nuh alayhi salam. That after the Tufan and the flood of Nuh alayhi salam cleared, that Turi Sayna is where the ark of Nuh alayhi salam um, stopped, and the very first thing that they saw growing again on the earth after the flood had cleared, after the water was gone, was the zaytuna, was the olive tree. was the very first thing that they saw growing from there. So these are some of the reasons why Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala specifically mentions Turi Sayna. Tambutu bidduhn. Now it comes forth with the oil and also it's a seasoning for food. That meaning is very obvious again. Everyone's familiar with the usages of olive oil, whether it be in terms of applying it uh, to oneself or also putting it in one's cook, uh, cooking or food. All right, everyone's familiar with that. But just from the sunnah perspective to share a little bit with it, that there in the book of Shama'il, Imam Tirmidhi's compilation about the personality of the Prophet ﷺ, it talks about it there that the Prophet ﷺ would apply oil to his hair and even to his skin. Um, and the oil that the Prophet ﷺ was the most fond of was olive oil. And he would apply it to his hair, he would apply it to his beard, he would apply it to his hands and feet as well. Um, and the, there's a certain shine that is described about the uh, hair of the Prophet ﷺ and the beard of the Prophet ﷺ. And a lot of times that was the consequence of the oil that he would apply. And similarly, the Prophet ﷺ, I mean, that's a whole different study. We go through it in the Sira intensive but the Prophet ﷺ, I mean, he was just such a remarkable person. Like studying the personality of the Prophet was so fascinating. So remarkable in terms of how he kept himself and maintained himself. And really the attention that he paid, you know. Again, not overindulgent to the level of vanity. But also, again, not this bizarre notion of supposed spirituality and asceticism where you have to look like a hobo. Right? So the Prophet ﷺ had this very beautiful balance where he took care of himself. But it wasn't overindulgent to the point of vanity. And so after he would apply oil to like his hair, and the Prophet ﷺ had long hair most of his life, right? at least coming down, falling to his ears, and sometimes as low as falling to his shoulders. All right? um, so he had quite a bit of hair and he would apply oil to it and he would slick his hair back. That the Prophet ﷺ, obviously now, if he puts on a turban, or he kind of covers his head with, uh, with like a cloth, you know, to kind of shield from the sun or something like that, now that would obviously get what? It would get stained. The pillow would get stained, right? Leaning against the wall, the wall would get stained. So the Prophet ﷺ had, you know, what to me makes sense as like almost like a bandana. The Prophet ﷺ had like a bandana or a do-rag type of thing that the Prophet ﷺ would tie on his head after applying the oil so that he wouldn't just go around staining everything. Right? And so he would apply that and, and then he would wash it every day. Like he'd wash it regularly. So it wasn't like just this filthy thing, right? That was like a biohazard. Right? He would wash it regularly, but because of the repeated and the constant exposure to oil, olive oil, it had like kind of like a permanent stain on it, a permanent color on it. And even that rag is like, you know, that little, that, that handkerchief or that bandana that he would tie, that even that is talked about and that was observed about the Prophet ﷺ. So this is from the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. And then sibghin lil-akilin, that of course the Prophet ﷺ would also use it for food. And the Prophet ﷺ made very, very simple food to the point where sometimes the Prophet ﷺ would just simply consume um, just like a dry you know, coarse piece of bread and just to kind of moisten it and give it a little bit of flavoring and make it easier to eat, then he would dip it in something like olive oil or vinegar. The Prophet ﷺ said, Ni'mal idam wal khal, that it's the best, um, you know, curry or salan, right? Um, 
that vinegar is the best curry or condiment, if you will. Um, and there's a narration of Tirmidhi with some muhaddithun have talked about its authenticity and there's some kalam, there's some discussion there. But nevertheless, Imam Tirmidhi rahimullahu ta'ala has a narration where the, he, that Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu quotes the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam saying, um, that complements your food with olive oil. And also apply it to yourself. Because it comes from a very blessed tree. And if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala calls something blessed, then who, who are you and I to argue with that? Right? So the Prophet ﷺ even encouraged it. And definitely, authentically, it is proven through his practice. And there's another very interesting narration uh, that Tabarani mentions um, that Sharik bin Namla. Sharik bin Namla, he says that Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu ta'ala anhu hosted me. He invited me over to eat with him. This is a tabi'i, Sharik bin Namla. He says, Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu hosted me, invited me over the night before the day of Ashura. The night before the day of Ashura, he invited me to eat with him. And we sat down to eat and he had very simple food. All he basically had was like some bread and olive oil. And he placed it down... And so, you know, he doesn't exactly say it, but the tone of the narration kind of makes it seem like he must have paused for a second, like, oh, you're still bringing out the rest of the food, right? And Umar radiallahu ta'ala just kind of gave him that look like, enjoy, right? <laughs> so, and he then said to him, kind of sensing his, you know, confusion or curiosity, he commented, Umar radiallahu anhu, he said, هَذَا زَيْتُ mubarak." هذا زيت المبارك. This is a very blessed, you know, the blessed olive oil. الذي قال الله لنبيه صلى الله عليه وسلم. That Allah subhanahu wa taala spoke about to His Messenger صلى الله عليه وسلم in regards to. Again, making reference to ayatun nur, the ayah in surah nur, the ayah within the Quran. The next ayah, inshallah, is ayah number 21. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَإِنَّ لَكُمْ فِي الْأَنْعَامِ لَعِبَرَةٍ نُسْقِيكُمْ مِمَّا فِي بُطُونِهَا وَلَكُمْ فِيهَا مَنَافِعُ كَثِيرَةٌ وَمِنْهَا تَأْكُلُونَ A very brief translation. And there is a lesson for you in livestock, animals. We produce milk for you to drink from their bellies, and they have many other benefits. Amongst them is that you eat them. Um, and so now to talk about this, um, one of the key words that I want to point out here, the words are pretty familiar. Um, the word that I really want to specifically talk about linguistically and literally is the word ibra. Now again, you saw in the translation, it translated as lesson. A lesson. And we're used to this word. It's a pretty common word in Islamic discourse. We talk about ibrah. It's a lesson. But what's really fascinating is, there are other words to communicate the idea of a thought or a reflection or a lesson. The word ibrah is very specific. And the root of the word actually does not, the root, if you go down to the core of the word, it doesn't necessarily talk about like learning or understanding or education. Right? The word ibra itself comes from ubur. Abiru sabilin. The Prophet ﷺ talked about this. Kun fi dunya ka annaka abiru sabilin. Kun fi dunya ka annaka gharibun. Excuse me. Oh, abiru sabilin. Right? And even in the Quran, it talks about illa abiru sabil. Right? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in the Quran, it's using that meaning as well. And in the hadith, the Prophet ﷺ talks about this. And the word ubur or abid, it means to travel from one place to another. To go from one place to another. And this idea, how does that translate over to a lesson now? If it means to go from, to pass through somewhere, to go from one place to another, start from one location and arrive at your destination. Alright, how does that translate into lesson? How did we get that translation? Is this a terrible mistranslation? 
for the last 1400 years, what's exactly going on? So what's really remarkable is that the Arabs would use this derivative of ibratun, ibratun li'ulil al-bab, it's used in the Qur'an in this meaning, of a lesson, the Arabs would use it in this meaning. And what it means is that specifically, and pay attention here, it means that you started off with one understanding, and you arrive at a higher understanding of something. So when the discussion starts, you started off one place. By the time the discussion is over, you have, arri- you have arrived somewhere completely different. You are at a new plane of understanding. You are at a new level of understanding. So think of it as going from the first floor to the second floor of understanding. That's ibra. Like a life-changing perspective. A paradigm shift is ibra. Alright, so lesson, while it's an adequate translation, but ibrah is so much more than just simply a lesson, or a reflection, or a thought. Okay? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَإِنَّ لَكُمْ فِي الْأَنْعَامِ لَعِبْرَةِ And most definitely, specifically for you, in livestock, an'am refers to animals, what we call livestock, so it's a pretty good translation into the English language, but like sheep, goats, cattle, so on and so forth, livestock. These animals that are raised and grazed for the purposes of food and sustenance. نُسْقِيكُمْ مِمَّا فِي بُطُونِهَا Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, again, there's that word isqa. We provide for you something to drink that comes from their bellies. And this is talked about in the Qur'an, of course, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is talking about the milk that comes from these animals. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala provides uh, a very remarkable um, reflection and thought in Surah An-Nahl, Surah number 16, ayah number 66. Allah says again, starts off very similar the ayah, so it's kind of like a sister ayah, if you will. وَإِنَّ لَكُمْ فِي الْأَنْعَامِ لَعِبْرَةِ Same beginning. That specifically for you, without a doubt, in the livestock, there is a life-changing perspective. نُسْقِيكُمْ مِمَّا فِي بُطُونِهِ that some of these animals, from their bellies comes something for you to drink. But then Allah goes on to explain, مِن بَيْنِ فَرْثٍ وَدَمٍ From between the filth that is inside of them, and the blood that is inside of the animal, لَبَنًا خَالِصًا سَائِغًا لِلشَّارِبِينَ That not just milk, but milk that is pure, and that is very satisfying, and very nourishing. For the people that drink it. Alright, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala provides a little bit more thought and reflection here. And overall in Surah Yasin, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in ayah 71 through 73, Surah 36, Surah Yasin, Allah says something very remarkable. He says, أَوَلَمْ يَرَوْا أَنَّا خَلَقْنَا لَهُمْ مِمَّا عَمِلَتْ أَيْدِينَا أَنْعَمًا Allah says that have they not realized that we have created for them, we have made for them from what we made. Allah created these animals. And Allah made them so remarkable and fascinating. فَهُمْ لَهَا مَالِكُونَ How generous is Allah? Allah says that they are, people are the owners of these animals. What do we own? What do we actually, we don't own ourselves. We don't own our own lives. We don't own our own existences. And Allah calls us the owner of the animals. Do you understand how that's, how loving and generous that is? That Allah says that they are the owners of these animals. Allah says, وَذَلَّلْنَاهَا لَهُمْ And we have subjugated these animals to these people. Why? Because you look at some of these animals, right? Take the horse for example. A horse is bigger, heavier, stronger, faster, and in some cases, even smarter than most people. Right? <laughs> yes? Yes. Right? So, but who's in charge? The human being is. Also, what's included, it doesn't occur to us when we say the word an'am. When we say the word an'am and we translate it as livestock, it doesn't occur to us, but you know what animal falls within that category? The camel. The camel falls within that category. An extremely powerful, strong, resilient, and intelligent animal. 
Very, very intelligent. But again, who's in charge? The human being is. So there's no, you know, how? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala subjugated these animals to us. Some of them you ride, some of them you eat. There's so many other benefits we extract and derive from these animals. And we get to drink as well the milk. So then are they not grateful? What reason do we have not to be grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala here, He says, Talking about the milk. And reserved for you in these animals are an abundance of benefit, different types of benefits. And from them you also eat. So again, your mind immediately, like we talked about in the previous ayah, goes to the fact, goes to the idea. Well, obviously, okay, fine. The, the animals, they provide milk. And then you eat them. What are the benefits is it talking about? Everything from their hide, using them for transportation, using them for, again, breeding, using them for business purposes, right? All these different benefits are taken from these animals. And then ultimately, they're a source of food and nourishment as well. And then finally, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala concludes the passage in ayah number 22. And upon them, these animals, and upon the ships, tuhmalun, you are carried. You are carried. Right? That when you're on this animal, or in that ship, right? It's not like a Flintstones type scenario where you gotta like running your feet. You're being carried. Fine, it requires a little bit of attention from you and a little bit of focus from you, but you're just being carried along. And think about the distances that you can traverse on the back of an animal versus if you were to do it on foot. That how you can cross an entire ocean in a ship and you'd never be able to do that yourself. So this form of transportation that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has also provided as well. Now, Obviously, so transportation is a huge blessing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about this a number of places within the Qur'an. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in surah number 40, ayah 79 and 80, That you can actually go. Allah says, Sometimes you just want to go somewhere. Like you want to go visit someone. But you're able to now cross that distance because of these means of transportation that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has provided. Alright? You can not only travel to a faraway place, but you can carry so much stuff with you, luggage with you, to a faraway place that if you tried to do that yourself, you would die. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala points that out uh, to us in Surah Yasin. Or excuse me, this is from Surah Nahl, Surah number 16. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Dukhan, where, we, where the Prophet ﷺ extracted the dua for transportation for, and taught it to us. Allah, Allah the one who um, created pairs of all different things. And He created the animals and the ships. The ships and the animals that you use as transportation, that when you get onto this form of transportation, and then you think and you reflect on the blessing of your master and your lord. When you feel completely safe and secure and stable, sitting on the back of that animal or sitting on that ship, and you say, you're just, it just comes out from you. It's, it's like you just, naturally feel forced to proclaim at that moment, How absolutely perfect and glorious and magnificent is Allah, the one who put this to my benefit, like subjugated this to me, provided this for me to benefit from. I never, we never would have had the capacity to have control over this. وَإِنَّا إِلَىٰ رَبِّنَا لَمُنْقَلِبُونَ And we all are returning back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
that we were created by Allah, this was created by Allah, this was facilitated by Allah, and we all have to return back and go back and meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is something that's pointed out. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if somebody has a question about why did we go from talking about transportation on the backs of animals to now talking about transportation on a ship, well obviously it's talking about traveling in the land and in sea. And the Arabs had this concept as well, and that's why they would refer to the camel as Safinatul Sahra, the ship of the desert. They would refer to it as the ship of the desert, but overall, it's just the concept of transportation, whether it be on land or uh, on sea. So inshallah, that concludes the next passage that we've studied. And uh, we'll go ahead and stop here. And again, I said I would reiterate that we read these ayat not only with the understanding that they are evidences and proofs of why we believe in Allah and why we believe in resurrection. But more importantly for us as believers, we read them with the reflection and with the thoughts that look how much Allah has provided for us. And how He's facilitated some of the most impossible things for us. Now what type of response does that elicit from us? And what does that require us to do? May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us all the ability to practice everything that was said and heard. Subhanallah wa bihamdihi, subhanakallah wa bihamdik, nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta, nasakfiru wa natubu ilayk.